Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors is with me in the studio. Everybody else is getting in on the sport, John. Do you want you, you know, to? I was thinking the tumble dryer is the one beside the washing machine, isn't it? That's, that's the, I'm told that that's the one, yes. You, you should acquaint yourself with them very handy during the winter months. I will say, I, I'd love to know what a B rated energy one is as well. It's, it's just after the A. <laughs> oh, isn't it? oh, very good, very good. I can see you're as aware about yeah, yeah. kitchen stuff as I am. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, anyway, the the match. Do you want to? want to get in on that? I get up up onto my high school, high school house, high stool. I think people were talking about. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's like everything else. I suppose it's very easy after the event, or very easy when you're not on the field, or very easy when you're not the manager to criticise them. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people have been talking about the amount of commitment that they put in. Mm. I mean, they're, you know, they're amateur players, the manager, you know, all of them. But um, I was looking I, today at what uh, some of the uh, Premiership managers are being paid. Oh Sweet God. Lord. Mm, no, I know. And I mean, all of these amateur, I mean, the commitment that they put in mm. is just extraordinary. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, as you know, I do a little bit of cycling and I go out and every, towards every summer, you have to try and get to a certain level of fitness so you mm. can go and do a sport even things like that but I mean the level of fitness that these guys have to maintain has yeah. to be extraordinary and I think like everything else I'd be very I, I'd be very interested I suppose as a you know high stool observer I'd be very interested to see how they do against Cork, Cork because yeah. when I saw them my mother's from Kilkenny so we always have this kind of huge problem in our household because she's usually sitting in the corner grinning at us because Kilkenny have been so um, dominant over the last period of time. But it's 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 kind of a bit upsetting to see Kilkenny coming back and tip falling off a little bit. So hopefully they'll do what they did last well, year and come back. Hopefully so indeed and we'll be all 100% uh, behind that anyway for sure. Listen, you're going to speak to us today about the statute of limitations. Do you want to yeah. just give us an, an overview of that? What is it? Yeah. yeah, what is it? And how do you make it sound interesting? Uh, it kind of, it's an integral part of almost every legal process that you're involved in. And <clears throat> it can be approached, uh, effectively what it does is it balances, like everything, it balances the rights of the person who's taking the claim to allow them enough opportunity to take a claim or to make a case or to deal with something that's to do with the law and on the same time balances the rights of the person at the other side of the equation to make sure that they're not hanging out there indefinitely trying to deal with stuff. So it's kind of from a commercial point of view it's trying to balance those two things that you know if you have a if you have a right, if you have, if you're entitled to do something, that you can do it, but you can't hang, you know, you can't hang around there indefinitely. Right. In terms of litigation, is that that's what you? Well, mean, it's yeah. in terms of almost anything. Yeah. It's in terms of litigation, in terms of of making a, an employment appeals application, in terms of lodging paperwork. Uh, like, for example, an interesting example of it in the insolvency area, which you know I'm very much involved in, was two different interpretations of. Uh, limitation periods and in one instance you could object within 14 days and in the other instance you had to file an appeal within 14 days so if you were the person like if you were the debtor and you wanted to appeal your case you got the wrong 
call or wrong decision and you wanted to appeal it, you had 14 days to do it. And the interesting thing about it and the whole area of statute of limitations is that in the first case, i.e. the person taking the case to appeal it, the judge read the legislation and said that they had to do it within 14 days and there was no discretion in the court to extend the 14 days. So they were on day 15 and they lost. They weren't able to make their appeal. On the other hand, a creditor was objecting to uh, an arrangement that had been entered into and they had 14 days. But in that case, the court held that the 14 days could be extended. So that's where, if you like, the interesting side of it is or the difficult side of it is. Because if you take, you know, the old classic one uh, when you're talking about limitation periods that works in a way that people might be kind of familiar with is the old squatter's rights. You know the squatter's rights when people uh, remain on in land that they don't own or uh, in a situation like that, there's a 12-year limitation period or 30 years if it's against the state. The state gets an extra bit of time that you can't actually acquire. And I think actually in the case of the foreshore, you know, on the river, on the sea, I think it goes for about 60 years. But anyway, to in, in your normal scenario, there's a 12-year uh, limitation period. So that's what limitation periods are. And I mean, you know, if you want to take a defamation case, you have to take it within a year. Um, there's an option or a, there's a, a possibility of the court, the court extending that time to another year, but by and large, you have a year in which to take it. Mm. What you're what you're trying to, I mean, there there have been issues that have come up, which are very topical, in terms of limitation periods, where the courts have struggled with it, and one of them is abuse claims, and, you know, you can imagine how difficult it is to deal with the issue of abuse in the first instance, but secondly, if you're going to try and deny somebody the right to take a claim, the whole issue of limitation periods come up and the courts have struggled with that and to such an extent that the legislation has stepped in and applied a different rule in the case of of, of abuse claims. What, what is that rule? It's How basically I'm... knowledge. It basically says that there's two it's basically on if 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 somebody didn't have knowledge so you know the way in uh, quite a considerable number of abuse cases um you know from a psychological point of view it was quite commonly the case that people would have no recollection they of would it. blank out yeah they would literally time, yes. literally blank it out and it would then come into their knowledge within a period of time so th- that was a way that the courts dealt with mm. it the 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 other interesting thing about the statute of limitations or the whole area of, you know, when, when, how long can you go and how long should it go on, is that the court has retained or the courts have retained uh, what they call an inherent jurisdiction, which is a, a very kind of w- a way of putting it on the basis that they're saying, well, actually, we can decide ourselves here. We don't have to be constrained by either legislation or by by uh, any other principles. But they they can dismiss a case for what they call want of prosecution, which basically means that even though somebody might be within time to take their case, the court decides that actually you've been too long at it, you've wasted too much time, you haven't progressed the case sufficiently and efficiently enough and we're going to dismiss it. And there's always a concern when you're running a case um, 
Well, that's not always a concern, but there is the possibility that if you hang around too much and you don't uh, deal with your case quickly enough, that that you'll be liable to an application by uh, the other side to dismiss it. And I'll always remember, um, actually, a man that I worked with for years in an insurance company. He was an inspector in an insurance company and he was a great man for using phrases but one of his common phrases was let sleeping dogs lie. And what he meant by that was that if they didn't prosecute their case fast enough instead of going and trying to push them on, you'd let them sit there for a period of time. And eventually they'd, they'd sit. If they sat for too long, you could then make an application to dismiss the case. Very, very cynical. Well, it's, it's, I suppose insurance companies haven't been unknown to be cynical. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting as an aside there. Um, I thought it was very interesting when I was reading the paper yesterday. Uh, Dorothea Dowling, who's a very vociferous lady when it comes to the whole area of insurance, keeping down costs, and she certainly targeted my own poor profession about costs at one stage, but she certainly was very, she's very, to be fair to her, she's very representative of trying to keep insurance costs down. Yes. And she had a serious go at the insurance companies there uh, yesterday when she said that um, they were not prepared to play ball with registering the details of the costs of litigation and the cost of claims on the national database, which was supposed to come live within uh, through the central bank within, I think, the next couple of weeks. Mm. And the point about that was a point that has often been made by um, the legal profession is that, you know, it's not all about legal costs uh, if it was and with the various efforts that were made to reduce them uh, that insurance premiums would have come down so she was basically saying look you're, you don't want to show your numbers just in case it mightn't have anything to do with what you've been talking about over the last number of years but anyway that's, that's an aside but mm. on the statute of limitations the other area which is always interesting because it was the subject of a constitutional case is that the a limitation period can be, if you like, suspended due to what's termed disability. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is if somebody is injured to the extent that they wouldn't be capable of managing their affairs or they're of the old-fashioned term that's used unsound mind uh, or if they're underage. So if you're a minor, for example, there was a case way back when, and there's often talk about it, uh, when I say talk about it, there's often discussion about it in the textbooks to the effect that this should be challenged, but it was challenged unsuccessfully a couple of, oh, I'd say 20 years ago, if not more, uh, where uh, a minor was involved in, the, in, in an accident. Yes. And they were two or three years of age, and then um, they come of age, they come to 18, or in that case it was 21, and then they, and the question then that, that arises is, when does the clock start to tick? Uh, does it tick from the date of the accident, or does it tick from when they come to maturity? And the answer was when they come to maturity. Go on. So you could have a situation where somebody might have had an accident, now by and large, these cases are actually taken. Uh, but there's a, there's the, there is always the possibility that when somebody, and I've had it, mm. when people hit majority, they may have had an accident when they were much younger, which wasn't taken or dealt with or addressed mm. by their parents. And they would have the right, 
uh, to take that case within two years of uh, their, beco- you know, reaching majority, 18. But the really interesting area uh, when you're talking about the statute of limitations or limits on making claims is the whole area of personal injuries because personal injuries is a very topical one. It's also a very hot topic as well mm. and there's always the debate out there from a policy point of view. As I was just saying to you off air, John, it struck me in fact over the weekend about limitation because uh, I was thinking of that uh, backpack murder, the German mm. girl who was murdered, I think it was 1988. At this point now, there's people uh, going to be prosecuted for, for the murder. I'm just wondering where... Uh, limitations are on on something like that. Yeah, you see, the yeah, it's an interesting question because it it asks begs the question: What's the relevance of the statute of limitations? And the statute of limitations is a defence to a claim. So, by and large, what happens is I I take a claim against you, and you then what the the term is you plead the statute. So you say you're out of time, and it's often dealt with as a preliminary point by the court. So the court will say, well, if you're out of time, well, then there's no point in hearing the case. In the case of a criminal prosecution, if you, if you, if you apply, and I'm going to apply the logic of it being a defence to a case, if you apply the same logic to a prosecution, the prosecution is going to take a case against somebody based on evidence. The, base, the, the defence will look at the evidence and say, you're out of time. Um, and, and what's the relevance of being out of time? If you go back to the, my point about the balancing of interests, i.e. that you can't leave it out there too long and that the person who's defending themselves are unable because of the amount of time that's elapsed to defend themselves correctly right. or properly. Or they might be very elderly. They might, they might be elderly. There might be no evidence out there. Witnesses yeah. might... Uh, the, uh, like the, the classic is the recollection of somebody however many years later, in order to support a case. So that they're the kind of policy reasons for it. So in the case of a, of a criminal prosecution, there's no bar to taking... Sorry, there are certain time limits for minor offences, for right. example, over you can't prosecute after a period of time. There are certain yeah. statutory but limits. for murder. But for a broader, serious offence. I mean, the, the one that comes up quite frequently before the courts is the one that we mentioned, which is abuse. Yeah. And you'll often see on the telly, uh, you know, 60, 70 year olds uh, being prosecuted for abuse. And the it will often arise that the person, who, uh, the legal team who are defending that person will attempt to use the argument that it's out of time, that it's too long, that you, that, that you, that the person won't get a fair trial because the evidence isn't um, in any way reliable <clears throat> and their, their ability to remember isn't in any way reliable. And often the court has to balance those things. But in the case of a criminal trial in the one that you've mentioned, I'm, I'm assuming that it was based on DNA, DNA evidence. Yes. And if it's based on DNA evidence, now there is a, there is a, I read an article recently, by the way, that says DNA isn't as strong as we think it is. But anyway, that's for another day. Um, but in that particular case, the prosecution is grounding it on evidence, if you like, that doesn't rely on memory, doesn't rely on time. It is a very scientific piece of evidence. And grounded on that, mm. then you're unlikely to right. succeed. Using technology uh, that wasn't available at the exactly. time or using exactly. some expertise exactly. that wasn't available. Which is a common one. I mean, the other, the other one 
which, uh, interestingly enough, I'll, I won't have time to deal with it this week, but I'll certainly deal with it next week, is that the whole area of fraud and concealment, um, as you know, I was talking to you about disability, but in the case of fraud or concealment, there, there's three kind of things. There's fraud, there's concealment, and the other one then is where you have what they call a stopple. Now, estoppel is that I'm talking to you, you have a case against me, let's say let's pretend I'm an insurance company and I'm talking to you and I'm saying look Fran, I take your claim, I know you have a claim, I accept that my insurer is liable to you for this and we chat away about it and uh, you work away on the assumption that that I've told you that I'm not going to dispute liability the principle of estoppel applies there. So in other words, that I've led you to believe that I'm not going to dispute liability, but you have a very strict time within which to make a claim and I'm watching and waiting for you, if you like, not to make the claim because I've led you to believe that I'm not disputing liability. That principle of estoppel can apply in the case of a statute. So in other words, that you can, if you like, postpone the, the clock ticking, you can postpone it based on a stopper. But the other one is fraud. And fraud, um, and the one that's kind of allied to that, but not as strong, is concealment. So, for example, and again, using the legal profession, like often I might be doing work for you um, and uh, something might have gone wrong. And if I'm aware of it and I conceal it from you, you're never going to know, or you may not know for some considerable time, whether or not you have a case against me. So that that can operate to stop the clock. Right. The whole because it's when you found out. Is that it? Yeah, but more to the point, when the fact that I concealed it is is more important. Right. Because right. when you found out is another one which we'll cover next week, which is the whole knowledge principle, mm. i.e. that, okay, you've got two years to take a personal injuries action, but if you don't know certain facts, it will stop the clock running until you know those facts. That's worth uh, a go on its, in its own right. Mm. But concealment is a different one. Concealment is where I go out of my way to conceal something so you don't know that I've mucked up on it. Um, <clears throat> not and a very God knows good, we've we've heard a lot about that yeah, but recently a, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and not a very good, not a very good uh, business uh, um, strategy from from anybody's perspective is yeah. to conceal because ultimately uh, you may be just postponing the inevitable. Um, but the the other one then is fraud, and fraud is a much more active one. Fraud is actually going out of your way to to defraud somebody so that you couldn't possibly uh, mm. be entitled to use that defence. And it was it was interesting. I'll it was used, or it was used as an example, and I'll talk more about it next uh, week. Do you remember the Neary case? Do you remember the obstetrician up, I, I do, up of course, the country? Yeah. In the Neary case, there was a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court where a lady took an action against... This was about the pelvic... Uh, yeah, uh, well, this was the unnecessary hysterectomy. Hysterectomy, see. Yeah, but the, the, um, in, in that particular case, a Supreme Court judge said that if she had taken the case under fraud, that she would have succeeded against him. Whereas, in fact, she argued a different point before the Supreme Court. But 
in that particular case, the Supreme Court judge was actually inviting her to make a claim. Isn't that interesting? If, if you conceal something and then it goes to go, somebody finds out about it and, mm. and they go go to court with that and and they might get fixed up and get some sort mm. of a, a, a money or whatever it is, can that become a criminal case then because of the concealment? It could be if there was a criminal element to it. Um, I'd be... I mean, <clears throat> you see, the difference between a criminal scenario and a civil scenario yes. is that your proof is different. In other words, the benchmark for proving your case in a criminal yes. scenario. Because we hear it about different. the other way around a lot, where there's a criminal case that mm. might have fallen apart, and oh. then in a civil situation, yeah. it's, it's a different result. So well, exactly, but but that's interesting because you've put your finger on it, maybe without knowing it, but you've put your finger on it because in when you're coming from criminal to civil, if you've proved the criminal one, you're proving it beyond a reasonable... There's, a, there's the whole reasonable doubt. Yes. Whereas in the civil cases, balanced probability. It's the old Simpson trial. Do you remember? Was yes, it Simpson? Is that your man? Yeah. And um, the car flying around the US? What's um, OJ? OJ Simpson. OJ. It's the OJ Simpson scenario. Yes. Where people watched a trial for weeks and weeks and weeks and your man got off and they went, genie Mac, how did he get off? And then what happened after that? They took a civil, civil action. Trial, yeah. And because the civil action only had to be proven on the balance of probability, they got home on that one, whereas they, where they didn't get the conviction because if there was a reasonable doubt, he was acquitted. So, but if you try and go the other way, balanced probability versus reasonable doubt, it's much higher. So right. go back to your question. If you're trying to prove a civil case of concealment, it's a lot easier because it's on the balanced probability. If, on the other hand, you're trying to prove a criminal uh, accusation against somebody to say you concealed, if there's a reasonable doubt, you won't you won't get home on the prosecution. It's very interesting. Did I ever tell you I'm fascinated by your job? You did. <laughs> you can have it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, all right, so next week then you'll go into that. And, and just some people inquiring as well about, um, in terms of personal injury, it's a two-year... Is two, it years. Two, two years. Two years from the date of the accrual of the cause of action or, or, which is the one we'll talk about next week, the date of knowledge. And that is an absolute cracker in terms of, to, of, of trying to get your head around that. I actually did uh, slaved over a thesis for about two years, three years part-time. I was a bit slow, so I think it took me three years. But I was trying to slave over a thesis based on the date of knowledge. And, Very uh, interesting. I, st it's still, it's, I still break out into hot flushes over it. Speaking of giving you hot flushes, quick question for you. I'm very worried that my husband has died. Am I left to pay all of his bills and they're considerable? There's a big question for you before you go. Well, the the bottom line, the sorry, the bottom line on it is this. First of all, it depends on whether or not it was a joint bill or not. But if we assume that it's the husband's bill and not the wife's bill, nemo dat quod non habit. If you don't, if you don't mind me quoting that one at you, I love you, an expensive yeah, education. Yeah. I know. I, I, I spent a long time <laughs> trying to learn a little bit of Latin every now and then. But no, the the you, you can't get they can't get what you don't have. So if her husband doesn't have a substantial, if if there are substantial debts 
with not substantial assets, well then they can't get what's not theirs. Number right. one, number two, they must they must go after the estate. They must actually go about going after the estate. In other words, they must issue proceedings. And from a commercial point of view, will they do that if there isn't anything uh, to go after? And uh, go after right. sounds terrible. But I don't the mean fact like she that. was the wife, the the, the uh, wife. Is that a different standing, in other no, words? No, no. She's she's not more responsible than she no, would no. be. No, no. The, the wife. Yeah. The wife, if I can use that expression. But yeah, no. It it, it doesn't elevate the debt to a particular status. Right. Okay. It doesn't mean that uh, when your husband goes, that you step into the husband's shoes in terms of the debts. If there were his debts, they're his debts. But I think uh, if your listener is concerned about it, just email me and, and give me some detail and I'll try and be a little bit more specific about it. All right. And that email is? John at lynchsolicitors.ie. Not very complicated. John <laughs> All at right. John, it's, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors.